We are in the second week of a series that we've entitled, I Declare War, with half the year, half of 2021 left. It's time to take stock of some things. Last week we talked about we're declaring war on procrastination, and today we're declaring war on negative thinking. You may have met someone who thought some negative thoughts this last week. In fact, you may have looked at that person in the mirror many times this week. I have. Yeah, because it's easy to think that way. In fact, uh, Debbie is here with me because, Debbie, every now and then I can get a little negative. Well, I don't want to throw you under the bus, but yes, this, this message is for you, dear. Okay, that was close enough. Anyway, uh, good <laughs> enough. Yes, and so every time we, I, I do want you to know this, when Debbie and I talk about these things, she goes, you're the one talking about this this week? I go, baby, I have to tell the truth even if it applies to me first, which it always does. And so today we're talking about this. I was just on a pastor's retreat this last weekend, uh, this last week in Wyoming, and uh, part of the retreat, each day they'd have some activities. You could go fly fishing, or you could go uh, hike up some mountains, or you could go horseback riding. And some of the people had never been horseback riding, and it was really funny because they told them, hey, you got to hold on to these reins, because if you give a horse its head, that horse is going to go wherever it wants to go. And if that horse goes wherever it wants to go, you're going along with it, okay? That's the way it works. And uh, when you're up uh, riding down some steep mountain trails, that's really something you don't want to do. Let that horse go where it wants to go. It gets kind of scary. And um, I was thinking about how that applies to us. If I let my thoughts wander, my thoughts can take me in some very dark places and get really scary really quick. So can, so can you. We can be misled, and the devil would love to lead us off into some really negative thinking. So today we're going to talk about that. And I just want to remind us, this is point A on your outline. Those of you who join us online, go to centeringlives.com. You will find a place where you can pull up the outline there. But the first thing I want to remind us is we live in a sinful, fallen world that makes it easy to become cynical and negative. I mean, uh, Scripture is very honest about this. Listen to Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. I tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and planting beautiful vineyards. I collected great sums of silver and gold. I had everything a man could desire. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure, but I looked at everything that I worked so hard to accomplish. It was all so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. People choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There's nothing ahead but death anyway. Let's close in prayer. Don't you all feel lifted up? Yeah. Whew. And then there's more. Romans 3, Paul, no one is righteous, not even one. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. Wow. This is why we need hope in the Lord. And today, we're going to talk about overcoming negative thinking by hope. And I've asked Debbie to join me because, Debbie, you were leading a uh, Bible study about this just recently. Yes, I actually was reflecting on a verse in Psalm 33 that you read uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think, in the outline it was there, and I, I was reflecting on it, and it says, we put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. And I started reflecting on that word hope, and for me personally, and probably for you, when I use the word hope, it's kind of an iffy thing. Like, I hope something's going to happen, but it might not happen. It could happen. Maybe. Don't know. But I'm hoping for it. And Scripture, it's, it's not like that at all. In fact, the biblical definition uh, from hope is a confident trust with the expectation of fulfillment. Like, it's going to happen. If it's in, in the Bible, the word hope, it's, it's concrete. 
It's not the way we use it. And so that really just struck me as maybe I haven't been thinking about this correctly. So we're going to do that today because that study, when I was looking up the word hope, it took me to Rahab in Scripture, the prostitute, and we're going to talk about her today. And so there's some interesting things that we're going to learn that are are really fascinating that connect the word hope with Rahab. But I'm going to lay some prayer before we start. Yeah, and before you do that, just want to, this is point B on your outline, that Rahab gave us a great example of how to declare war on negativity and not lose hope. I mean, that's, she was an Old Testament character, a woman, the most surprising woman you'll ever find as you hear her story today. This is going to shock you that she would be the poster child for hope, but she really is. Mm-hmm. Now you can pray. Thank you. Good. Let's pray together. Bow your heads. Holy Father, I thank you for the people in this room. I thank you for the people online watching. Lord, I just thank you for your word. It is so powerful. And Lord, we don't want to be cynical and negative just because um, the world is going a direction that we don't like and we're scared. Lord, I don't want to be negative. Lord, I want to be hopeful. And Jesus, you are my hope. Everything in your word tells me to hope and trust in you. So thank you, Father. I pray for this time that you would open up our hearts and our minds to hear from you. And um, I pray that we will come away encouraged today. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Okay, here's the setting for what you're about to hear. Uh, The children of Israel were in slavery for over 400 years in Egypt. Uh, They were rescued through a series of miracles. Miraculous plagues were sent upon the Egyptians. And when the Israelites marched out, the Egyptians threw jewelry and clothing at them, showered them with blessings, and marched through the Red Sea. God had divided the sea. And the Israelite, I mean, uh, Pharaoh's army chased after them. When the Israelites got to the other side, the chariot wheels were coming off of uh, Pharaoh's army. They were all trapped at the bottom of this trench, and the water closed over them, and they all drowned. Well, 40 years later, after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, they make it to the edge of the promised land. And when they're about to go in, Joshua, who's leading the people at the time, sends two spies. And the spies are um, sent to check out Jericho, this fortress city. It was a uh, stockade or a big military uh, establishment right there, not far from um, the Jordan River. And It was a fortress that was meant to be impenetrable. The walls were 30 feet high. There were two walls. The outer wall was 12 feet thick. There was an inner wall that was six feet thick, six or eight feet thick. And the people were stationed on top of it, could shoot bows and arrows, and they felt like they were safe from any enemy attack. And Joshua sent some spies to the city to find out what was the mood of the people and what were the vulnerabilities there. And here's what happened. This is how we get introduced to Rahab. Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove, and he instructed them to scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out, and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Now, why on earth would they go to the house of a prostitute? Well, that's a place where, if you're going to stay at a place like that, that's a place where they don't ask a lot of questions, and people don't give a lot of information. So what happens in Jericho stays in Jericho. Yeah, what happens in Jericho stays in Jericho. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Okay. So the two men set out. They came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, look, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, 
bring out the men who've come into your house, for they've come here to spy out the whole land. Now, apparently they, was, they were given away maybe by their accent. I don't know. Maybe by the clothes they were wearing. Remember the Egyptians had showered them with clothing, and maybe they looked conspicuous from that. We don't know. There was something that tipped them off, but some people followed them to Rahab's house, and the king uh, told, him to, told Rahab to bring them out. Well, now Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yeah, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. When actually she'd take them up on the roof and hidden them beneath some bundles of flax that she laid out. People in those days made their own clothing. If you're going to make linen, make it out of flax. And she would have been drying some flax for that purpose on the roof. Stalks up there four or five feet long. You could easily pile them up and hide somebody under that. But what's interesting is, is that she hid these spies and she made a choice um, to stand against her own people and reach out to help for help for these spies because you're about to find out because she trusted in God's reputation. It's pretty John, amazing. You know, I've always been shocked um, reading about Rahab through the years that she is, in Scripture, she's a person of honor, mm. but she was a, a prostitute. I mean, it just is always been confusing in my brain of just how is it she is actually in the lineage or the family line of Jesus she was a prostitute and I just have never been able to wrap my head around that um you know if I don't know if I had somebody in my family who was in her occupation I don't know that I would be bragging about it and telling people about it and yet, it's all in Scripture that this was who she was. This is what she did. And she was the great, 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 whatever. Grandmother of, of Jesus. Of, Je of yeah. Jesus. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's fascinating to me. Yeah. So, we're going we're gonna to hear about why that is. But it's because she made that choice. Yeah. She lined herself up with the right people and the God, yeah. Jehovah God. Yeah, to line herself up with God and his people. And this is important because... When we're talking about negativity, if you think about anybody who had a right to be cynical and negative and give up on life, uh, she lived in the city of Jericho. Jericho, the people there worshipped the goddess Ashtoreth, the moon goddess. The way you worshipped the moon goddess was by every form of sexual perversion known. The other thing you did is that you took your firstborn while the baby was screaming. You pitched your firstborn baby into a fire and burned him to death. Because then Ashtoreth would bless you with many more children. And this is a woman who lives in a place where they do that stuff, and she runs a brothel there. So she would have met the dregs of the dregs of society. And the men that she offered her services to would not have been kind to her. I mean, let it sink in what kind of life you would live. If there was ever a woman who knew the pain and the heartache and knew what it was like to be treated evil by people, I mean, to have all kinds of evil done to you, she would know. She could have been angry at God. She could have been angry that now these Israelites were coming to their doorstep. But instead, what you're going to find here, in fact, this is the next point. Let me just read it to you. What you're going to find is that Rahab was living in a wicked culture that was consumed by fear, but she'd put her hope in God, even though she only knew his reputation. I mean, what's so amazing is you're meeting a woman here who had every right to be cynical and give up on life, but when she heard 
that the true God, the living God, and his, well, the people who worship the living God were coming their direction, when she realized these are people who know him, they can probably help me. She had great hope in the midst of all that despair. Deb, you got to keep reading for us, if you, don't, if you don't mind. Sure. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk with him. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we've heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. Who, who were they? Sihon and Og were two military kings. They had mighty armies, both of them. And on their way to the promised land, the Israelites had to pass through the lands that were occupied by these two warlords. These were warlord kings. Og, by the way, was a, was a gigantic guy. The scripture tells us he slept on a bed of metal that was 13 feet long. So he was, I mean, gigantic. And the people in Jericho had had many wars against Sihon and Og, and they were formidable opponents. That's why the walls were 30 feet high on Jericho. And they were fighting against Og, the giant, and his men. And apparently they'd repelled them in the past, but, but they had never been able to conquer them. Well, the Israelites came through and just wiped these armies out. God did. And now they were coming to Jericho next. And so she's saying, we heard about what you did to the Egyptians 40 years ago. We know very well the strength of Sihon and Og. And she would have known all that because a lot of the military soldiers were the people who would have frequented her establishment. She had reliable information on all of this. Let's keep going. So no wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now understand this. You and I know a thousand times, a million times more about God than Rahab did. Rahab knew that the God of these Israelites was like no other God she'd ever heard of. I mean, she'd heard all about Ashtoreth and seen all the horrible, wicked things done. But Ashtoreth couldn't rescue people like this God could. And yet, with only the news of his reputation, here's what she said. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Could we read that out loud together, please? For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. And that was enough to give her hope. There's a way out of this wretched life. There's a way out of this wicked city. You didn't have to tell her that the people in her city deserve God's judgment. She was well aware this is the God of heaven above and the earth below and we have sinned mightily. This is a woman whose business was sin. And that's why she's in the lineage of Jesus, because Jesus came to save sinners. Yeah, you and I aren't going to brag about the relative who owns a brothel. But in the New Testament, oh man, God brags about it, because I came to save people in the darkest, deepest parts of sin. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Amen. And Rahab had hope. Now, this is something. I mean, because she put her hope in God, and she knew far less than we do. And if John, she can have hope, then so can we. John, she put her hope in God instead of her circumstances. There you go. 
instead of our circumstances. And you know, a lot of times today when I'm looking at all my circumstances, I can get really fearful, I can get negative, I can um, just get upset and angry. But if I change the way I think and put and look at the Lord as opposed to my circumstances, the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He never changes. But the world is changing constantly, and it's a scary place. Oh, yeah. But God is constant. Yeah, and Rahab knew exactly how evil it was, and she put her hope in the Lord. Isaiah 26, verse 3, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in your bank account. That's not what it says. You will keep in perfect peace all of you who trust in other people because they'll never let you down. I mean, it doesn't work. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. And even though we know all about him, and we have the Bible and other things, we don't trust him as much as Rahab. Oh, this is a call to put our thoughts on him each day. Each day, spend time in our, in our Bibles and meditating on his word. Each day, to spend time praising him, reminding ourselves that God will guide us. He'll take care of us. Jesus told his disciples this, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. The peace I give is a gift the world can't give, so don't be troubled or afraid. The world can give you peace you have, if you have plenty of money and everything's going right and lots of job security. And everything you voted for is happening. Well, now you should have peace. But Jesus said, look, I'm going to give you peace that's completely different than that. Everything else can be going south, but you can have peace because I'm the creator God of heaven and earth. And there's no problem I can't handle. And whatever situation you're in, I'm going to be with you. If that's good news to you this morning, will you say amen? amen? It's all true. Here's another life application. We need to choose whether we're going to live in worry and fear or hope and joy. And that's true, isn't it, Deb? That is completely true. I, it, I have a choice. When my head is starting to go away where it doesn't need to go, my brain, I have to stop myself. In fact, 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says to take your thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. That involves um, me making a choice and doing something. I can, I can take my thoughts and I can refocus them. I can let go of the negative stuff. I can sing praise music and read God's word. I can rejoice in sing hallelujahs. I can do whatever it takes to get my brain in the place where it needs to be in, in peace. Yeah, because sometimes, you know, after a long day or I've been just come across all sorts of uh, situations and problems. pastoral problems and pastoral work and things, I'll be deeply troubled. And Debbie and I have a little prayer booklet that gives us prompts about praying and helping us focus on the Lord and not our problems and other things. And so I'll come home and she'll go, did you pray your prayer booklet yet? <laughs> I'll go, no. And she goes, well, go I'm not away. Go pray. Yeah, I'm not back. serving dinner till you do. Uh, <laughs> Because she doesn't, she doesn't want me, she doesn't want to have an evening with a guy who's all negative. I mean, right? Uh, okay, anyway, yeah, anyway you get the idea. Yeah, that's not <laughs> happening. Okay, but think about if we focused on this. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Don't be discouraged. I'm your God. I'll strengthen you and help you. I'll hold you up with my victorious right hand. Rahab believed this. If there was any way out, it would be the Israelites' God, and now she met the Israelites. She recognized them, too. And she said, look, I hid you guys. I know you're from the camp of those people who worship the eternal God, the maker of heaven and earth. I need your help. You've got to help me. I'll help you, but you've got to help me because you worship the true God. And that's why you've got to love her. 
oh man, talk about somebody who could have just gone in the tank and she had hope. In fact, this is probably the first time she'd ever had hope because there was hope in the living God, not this made up God asterisk. So Rahab put her hope in the promises of the spies. Now swear to me, the story goes on. She's still talking to them. It's night. They're under the flax. She's telling them, okay, I know who you guys are. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. Now give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you're going to let me live along with my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all their families. We offer, you, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, then we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then, since Rahab's house was built onto the, into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Those two layers of walls, uh, there were logs that were placed across the top to hold them together. On top of those logs, they would build houses. Rahab's house would have been one of those with a window that looked out over the top of the wall. So it's night now, and she's lowering them down by a rope so they don't have to go through the city gate. She sent the people from the city looking next to the river we don't have all the chapter in here. She sent them up in the hills on the other side and told them, wait there three days till they come back, and then you guys will find your way safely home. But before they had left, um, they had talked to her. They said before the men left, they told her, look, we're going to be bound by oath, the, the oath we've taken, only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, your mother, your brothers, and your relatives must be here inside this house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it won't be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside the house, then we will accept responsibility for their death. Now, if you betray us, however, we're not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. I got to say something. This is the best part. I, I love, this is the thing that God taught me when I was doing my little devotional. I want you to take out your, your little scarlet rope. Each of you yeah, should have Yeah, for those one. of you watching online, um, just you're going to have to imagine just this. Pretend. Okay, sorry. <laughs> but one thing I did when I was preparing the devotional um, about hope, I did something I've never done, ever. I looked up the Greek and the Hebrew for the word hope because I thought, I don't understand hope. And the word for, I learned something really cool. The word for hope that scripture uses in hope, the Hebrew word is called tikvah. Tikvah. And I looked up tikvah, and tikvah is the word used for the scarlet cord that Rahab hung out her window. So the hope that scripture refers to is a concrete, real thing. It's the same word of the scarlet cord that the Bible uses for the scarlet cord in Scripture that Rahab hung out her window. And one of the best parts was I called John. I mean, when he came home, I was like, I got the coolest thing to tell you. And I told him, I said, he didn't know, and I knew, and I was so excited. <laughs> he, he looked at me, he goes, that's not true. I said, it is so true. And it was, it was fun that I got to do yeah, that. So I did my own independent word study, and she is very correct. She's correct. <laughs> uh, the word for rope that's used there is tikva. And when we were talking about hope being iffy, I hope it rains. I probably won't. That's not the word at all. This scarlet cord is a real rope. It means expectation. Yeah, it means I expect 
God to save me and my family. That's what She left it hanging there. When the Israelites, they marched around the city once a day for six days. On the seventh day, they marched around seven times. Every time they did a lap, everybody knew where Rahab's house was. The spies had come back and told Joshua, man, they are melting in fear. This is the time to attack. And so the whole army was encouraged. And as they were marching around the city each time, Joshua had told everybody, when we go into that city, you protect the people in that house. It's the only one with a scarlet, scarlet rope hanging There's out the window. There's her tick claw hanging out the window. There's hope hanging out the window. There's one place with hope in the entire city. Rescue the people who have hope. Hope on a rope. Anyway, but the idea is they have hope. Now look, this is expectation and you have to wait for it. Because Debbie, that's part of hope too. Hope always means you're waiting. Yes, it's something that you are hoping for in the future, but you know it's coming. Rahab would have hung that rope out her window and for days waited and waited. And it might have been a very scary time for her, but she said, no, I, I, this is my tick bot. It is hanging out the window. They are coming for me. And so it was an a expectation that what she was waiting for would happen. Oh, Yeah. And look, she was trusting this because that was the promise the spies had made her. I'm glad she trusted them because you'll see in a minute it was all worthwhile. But here's a life application for you and me. We can overcome fear and negativ negativity by putting our hope in the promises of God. We don't have promises of spies. We have the promises of God himself. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Now, what promises am I talking about? Well, again, if you're online, just go to centeringlives.com. You can find all these listed there. But if you take your outline and go to the back cover, let me, give you, let me remind you of 12 promises that are true for all of us, no matter what our circumstance, no matter what, whether we're sick or healthy, whether we've got lots of money or none, whether we're old or young, whether we've got a job or don't, whatever our circumstance, these 12 promises are always true. God will provide for all of my needs. God is always with me. God will guide me along the best pathway for my life. God has a plan and a purpose for my life. God promises eternal life to all who trust in Jesus. God enables me to forgive others. God is bigger than all my fears. God can use even the failures in my life for good. Jesus died on the cross to save me from the penalty of sin. The Holy Spirit is working in me to, to set me free from the controlling power of sin. In heaven, I'll be set free from the very presence of sin. And I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, which of those things aren't true for any of us? No, they're all true for all of us. And that's why Paul was making that statement in Romans that we just read. Uh, he said the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently. We can hang on to them. When everything goes south, these things aren't changed. It's not iffy. Well, I, I hope it rains this afternoon. Actually, we're having that pool party. I hope it does not rain, okay? This isn't like that. This isn't, well, I hope there's a God that'll rescue me from the penalty of sin. No, we're counting on it. This is real. And that's why we wanted you to have a little piece of cord here, of scarlet cord. Maybe you can keep it in your wallet, keep it on your dashboard, tie it to your keys. But when you're having a down day, remind yourself, the promises of God are real. That rope was real. It was the one place in the whole city 
that had hope. Rahab's hope in God not only kept her from negativity, it also um, inspired her to rescue her entire family from God's impending judgment. Again, she knew how wicked people were. She knew when the spies told her they were coming and God was going to wipe them out, she, she knew, she believed. And suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed. They had marched around it seven times. They blew trumpets. The people all shouted. The walls came tumbling down. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed. collapsed. The Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it. The men who'd been, who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and the other relatives who were with her there. And they moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. I mean, can you imagine that? She packed that house. Her hope gave hope to others. Her trust in the God, the maker of heaven and earth, and in his protection because his people had promised her this, that was enough for her. John, they were rescued. I love that. It says they were taken to a safe place. They were the only people that were rescued because she put her hope in Jehovah God, and he rescued them. That's why she's in the lineage of Christ, because she changed. It was like her conversion. She chose, I'm not going to be with my people in the wickedness of the day. I'm choosing the God of the Israelites because he's the one true God. And so she's in the lineage. She's in scripture. We read about her today, not because of her past, but because of the hope that she had in God and the conversion and the change that she had. And she acted on it. She actually hung the rope out the window. Here's a life application. Our hope in Christ should not only keep us from, keep us from negativity, it should also motivate us to do, the, do all we can to rescue our friends and family from the coming judgment of God. Don't miss this. We live in a sinful, fallen world. God's judgment is coming our way too. The scripture makes this abundantly clear. In the between time, we're like the spies in the land. And God is using us directing us to people who need hope and salvation. I mean, it was no coincidence that God brought those spies to Rahab's house. Man, I could do another whole deep dive on this part, but in Genesis 15, God promised Abraham when he led him to the promised land, he said, one day all this land is going to belong to your descendants. But first, they're going to be captive for over 400 years, for 400 years in another nation. That turned out to be Egypt. At the end of that time, I'll release them. They'll get great wealth. And when they come back to the land, then they'll conquer it. But the time of the Amorites, for judgment of the Amorites, has not yet come. God was waiting until the very last person who would ever repent would repent and come to him. The very last person who would surrender their life to him would surrender it. And the last person was Rahab. She was the very last one. And then judgment came except for one portion of the wall where there was hope. And she had packed her house. Oh, let that give you hope. And if you have family and friends that are far from God, this is the time to pray for them more than you ever have before. If you have not given your heart to Christ, today is the day. Come to Christ today. 
Listen to what it says in 2 Peter 3.10. The day of the Lord will come. This is Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. The day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. And the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. And since everything around us is going to be destroyed like that, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. Well, how do we live holy and godly lives and hurry it along? First of all, we don't let ourselves get all bound up in negativity. We have hope. We meditate on God's word. And no matter what the circumstance is, we encourage each other this way and say, you know, the Lord will show us what to do. God's going to use all things for his good, for my good and his glory. I trust in him. And we pray for people and we share the gospel and we pack our house. There's hope in Jesus. Our government will fail us. Our material goods will fail us. We will fail ourselves. But God will never fail us. Will you pray with me, please? Oh, gracious God, I just thank you that we have the opportunity in our day and time to hang on to hope the same way that Rahab hung on to hope in her day and time. And she's a hero in the Bible because when she had a chance to join everybody else in sin and negativity and fear, she ran to you. But God, she didn't even know anything about you compared to us. But God, forgive us for our negativity. Forgive us for focusing on ourselves. Forgive us for focusing on everything negative all around us and not spending enough time in you, with you in your word. Give us a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, God, help me focus on you and cling to you. If this is a desire of your heart today, just pray right where you are and say, Oh, God, help me focus on you. Keep my mind fixed on you. And if as we're praying today, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, I come to you just like Rahab did. Lord, I know all about sin, and I know where I've been. But God, I want a new life and a new identity. You gave her a place among your people. Give me a place in your family. She hung on to a scarlet cord. I'm hanging on to the blood of Jesus. I give my life to you today, Lord. No, Father, I pray for the rest of us who've been hanging on to this cord for a while. You remind us that judgment day is coming. There will be a day when it's the last day. And Father, please remind us to pray for our family and our loved ones, our friends who don't know you. In fact, right now, in a moment of silence, would you pray for one person who's far from God right now and say, God, would you bring them home? Would you give them hope in Jesus? Thanks for Rahab. Look forward to meeting her in heaven one day. Thanks for giving us hope. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.